I want you to think back to the last time that you went through some difficulty. Some of you, it won't be hard to think back, but think back to that time. Okay, might maybe an, an argument with your spouse. Maybe you realized you weren't going to have enough money to pay some important bill. Maybe you had a conflict at work with your boss, or you had to report a coworker for some unsafe or illegal practice. Whatever the case, you have it in your mind now? You think back, your adrenaline was flowing, your blood pressure was elevated. In that situation, you were hopefully trying to do the right thing, figure out what that was, or you were guarding yourself against doing the wrong thing. Now ask yourself, how would that situation have been different? The situation you have in your mind. Had I already made considerable progress in being like Jesus? That is, in thinking like he thinks, valuing what he values, turning to God as easily as he does? How would you have gone through that if you shared his resolves? If your habits of thought and of outlook and of manner were the same as his? How would you have gone through that tough time? What would it be like for you to be like Jesus when you're in trouble, when you're having a conflict, when you're imposed upon by someone in need and you're in a hurry? How would you be like, like to be like Jesus when you've been overlooked? or rejected, when you're alone, when you're with friends. How would you like to be like Jesus, think like Jesus, value what he values, pay no attention to what he disregards? When you're weary, when you find out the day you find out you're dying. How would you like to be like Jesus when you're tempted? Some people, frankly, would really like to be like Jesus when they're dying, but they don't really intend to be like him when they're tempted. But being like Jesus is a package deal. It goes together. Does being like Jesus seem like a burden to you? I have to be like Jesus. Does it sound like all work and no play? Like it would be a constant battle, an unceasing effort? Or does being like Jesus sound to you like an unending Sunday school convention? Maybe our idea of Jesus needs to change. Maybe the image of Jesus that we know has been cast in the mold of a Pharisee or has been shaped by some hopelessly out-of-touch religious character that we've known. Maybe the true Jesus has been buried beneath the pious rubble of centuries the idea that we could actually, you, could actually be like Jesus. That you could, to use biblical language, imitate Jesus, follow Jesus, be conformed to the image of Jesus. I realize that that might not appeal to you. Depending on what you think Jesus is like. If the person we think of when we think of Jesus is sterile and dry or stern and hard or boring and no fun at all, we're not going to want to be like Jesus. Now, 
Some of you might be thinking, well, I'm almost 60 years old. Or, you know, I'm almost 18 or 30 or 80. It doesn't matter. What else do I have to learn? Let me give you a few suggestions. Have you already learned how to die? I don't know how to do that yet, though I've had some really good examples. Do you know how to speak truth when it would be a whole lot easier to tell a lie? Have you already learned how to accept people and not condemn? How to pray? How to use your money well? How to handle interruptions? How to deal with disrespect? How to relate to parents? How to relate to to children? How to love an enemy? How to love a friend? How to invest your time? How to face the unknown? How to live forever? How to experience peace? That's just a start. Some of the things that Jesus teaches us once we've committed to become like him. Years ago, Glenn Snap called me up and asked for an appointment. I think he self-identified as an atheist at the time. Yeah. And when we met, he just bombarded me with questions, one after another. How could a good God send people to hell? So I tried to answer that question. As soon as I got done with that, what about people who have never even heard of Jesus? What about them? What happens to them? Why, if God is all-powerful and he's all-good, is there evil and suffering? And he he just came at me, and I answered his questions one after another, probably not very well. But Glenn began to get the idea that there are answers, answers that make sense. And he also got the idea, I think, that his questions were, at least to some extent, a smokescreen, just intending to hide him from God. And I think it's a real hoot that he's studying for ministry now. God has such a sense of humor. (laughs) But answering all those questions did not, at least immediately, help Glenn step over the line and give his life to God. What prompted him to take that step was a question his wife Amy asked him. She asked him, Don't you want to be like Jesus? So let me ask you the same question. Don't you want to be like Jesus? I know that some of you do. Well, let's ask God a variation on that question. Do you want us to be like Jesus? And he answers, absolutely. In fact, that's been my plan all along. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and verse 29. And we know, by the way, if you just read Romans chapter 8, look for all the things we know. We know, and then look for the things we don't know. It's an interesting study. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he, that is Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. In the very beginning, God said something like this. I love my Son so much, I want a million 
just like him. No, make that a billion. No, I want even more than that. You were intended from the very beginning to be conformed to the likeness, the image of God's son. That was the blueprint. That's how you are designed. Of course, if that's how you're designed, your life will never run right until you're operating according to specs. That is, until you are conformed, until you're being conformed to the likeness of the son. <coughs> Excuse me. A car that's made to run on high test is not going to run very well on ethanol. That's not how it was designed. You were designed to be Christ-like. And the more you're like Christ, the more you think like him, enjoy what he enjoys, hate what he hates, care about what he cares about, want what he wants, the better your experience of life will become. You'll be hitting on all cylinders. Now, you'll still be you. Conform to the image of Jesus, you will still be you with all the things that God included that make you uniquely you. Those uniquely you attributes, they make you different from me, but they don't make you different from Christ. In fact, they enable you to reflect some glorious aspect of his beauty, his goodness, in a way that none of the rest of us do. So that we'll be able to cheer the glory of God revealed in you. That's what Paul had in mind when he wrote to the Galatians. And they glorified God in me. They saw him, his beauty, his power. They saw it in me. Now let me get theological for a few moments. Adam and Eve, our first parents, were made to be God's image bearers. Let us make them in our image after our own likeness. And they were told to be fruitful and multiply. See, God wanted to fill the earth with people bearing his image. And in that way, all creation would see signs of his presence and goodness everywhere. But instead of being confirmed in the image of God, Adam defaced that image. He chose to image himself as God rather than image the Lord as God. And all of his children have followed suit. Instead of bringing joy to each other and happiness to creation as God's image bearers, Adam's children have displayed their father's image in his rebellion. Now, what was God going to do? Adam had defaced the image. He wanted a billion, ten billion perfect images of himself to delight creation. Instead, he had a billion, make that five billion right now, defaced images that went on to deface creation. But none of that took God by surprise. He sent the eternal son himself, the original on whom Adam was based, to start a new family of brothers and sisters. The son is the image of the invisible God. That's Colossians 1.15. He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Adam defaced the image of God. Jesus expressed it. God's plan was that people everywhere, people from every race, from every nation, from every ethnic community, would commit themselves to his son, receive his spirit, and participate in the process of being restored to the original and glorious image.
the dignity that he's bestowed on us, and the glory of it all surpasses the ability of words to articulate. That's God's plan. Billions of images of his son, each just like Jesus, and yet each totally and irreplaceably unique. God is so committed to that plan that he will use anything and everything to make it happen. That's the point of that famous 28th verse of Romans 8. And we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's been one of the most frequently quoted Bible verses of all time. In the King James it reads, and many of us knew it from the King James, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What a remarkable, really what a daring thing that is to say. All things, all things, everything, all things work together for good. I think some of the things in my own life, the foolishness and the sins, I think of some of the big things in my life, like my brother's cancer and his early death. I think of the confusion that I went through when a denominational official turned Karen and I down for missionary service. I think of some of the things that now look like small things. My car, my only car, blowing a head casket on Cleveland's southeast side where our family, our little tiny boys, waited for hours for someone to come and get us. That works out for good. I think of the first article I ever sent to an editor that was roundly rejected and sent back. Never saw the light of day. Did God use those things for good? And the things in my life paled before some of the things in your lives. The pain, the loss, the dreary years when it was almost more than you could do to put one foot in front of another. Do all things, all things really work together for good? To be perfectly frank, that depends entirely on whether what you mean by good is what God means by good. See, what he means by good is very clear, that you be conformed to the image of his son. That's what verse 29 tells us. That's what God says is good. And he will use everything in heaven and on earth to accomplish that goal. He will use the good and the bad, the moments of exultant joy and those moments of dust-eating desolation. And he'll use a million, a trillion moments that you don't consciously remember. Moments that you would say had no impact on you at all, but he knows better. He makes all things work together for good. The good, the great good of being like Jesus. But if that's not what you mean by good, then you can't claim this verse. The pain, the loss, the dreary years when you could hardly put one foot in front of the other will not be for your good if you insist on defining good as carefree pleasure or as financial prosperity or even as simple freedom from hassles. If that's what you make your good, those things won't work for your good. 
The only thing that can redeem our pain and suffering and give them value is our participation in God's plan for us, that we be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's good. That's the pearl of great price. Living as his children in his kingdom and looking like his son. Now imagine again what it would be like for you, I mean you and your life, to really be like Jesus. To be at peace at the center of your being. That's what he's like. To have a fountain of joy continually rising up from deep within you. To be content. To love God with your entire being so that you break into worship as you go through your day. To love others passionately. To allow worry absolutely no admittance into your heart or your mind. To have no regrets. To be excited about the work that God has for you to do. That's God's plan for you. That's what he calls life. And that more abundantly. Now it sounds good, doesn't it? God wants us to be like Jesus. God does. And being like Jesus will make us happier than we ever dreamed. So what does it take? It takes you. See, God's already on board with this plan. After all, it is his plan. Now you need to get on board too. How do you do that? Well, it doesn't happen by accident. You apprentice yourself to Jesus. You become his disciple. You go to him for training. Not to be religious, but to be you, the Christ-like you, living your unique life and living it to the full. He can teach you to do that. He can teach you to do that whether you're a banker or a student whether you're a farmer or a teacher, whether you're a kid or an adult, he wants to train you and is willing to make everything that happens in your life work together to complement your training. A student, Jesus once said, is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained, that is, who is mended and made ready for action, is like his teacher. Jesus wants to help you, to train you to be like him. So what does it take? Well, it takes God. It's not like you can say, okay, I'm going to do this without him. It takes him. He gives us the Christ-like kind of life, the eternal kind. He gives us his spirit to live in us, and he gives us his word to instruct us. And all the while, he's giving us this and much more. He's making all things work together for our good, making them serve our effort to become like Christ. But we must be willing to be trained. I mean, that's really the sticking point. That means we need to be willing to learn the change. By the way, did you learn something this week about how to live for Jesus? 
I mean, you can go through a whole week and not be acting like a disciple at all. Did you learn anything from him this week? Are you willing to change? Are you willing to leave some things behind and take hold of new things? See, you'll never become Christ-like if you're unwilling to change or unwilling to learn. That's part of it. And you must choose this. You need to make it your goal. If you don't want it, I can tell you, you won't have it. It doesn't happen by accident. You must be committed to becoming Christ-like. You must commit that as something of yourself, your time, your intentions, your thoughtful planning to becoming like Jesus. You must intentionally start to obey Jesus. Set about doing the things that he said to do. See, there's no discipleship to Jesus apart from that. None. And if you say, but that's not grace. All I can say is that the life of doing what Jesus said is full of grace. It's overflowing with grace. It's the life of ignoring Jesus that lacks grace. What did Jesus himself say? Just after telling us that a student who is fully trained, who's mended and made ready for action, is like his teacher, Jesus went on to ask, Why do you call me Lord? Lord, and don't do what I say. Prayer is not a substitute for doing what Jesus said. Going to church is not a substitute for doing what Jesus said. Giving is not a substitute for doing what Jesus said. Memorizing the Bible is not a substitute for doing what Jesus said. Faith is not a substitute for doing what Jesus said. Though somehow people have got the crazy and thoroughly unbiblical idea that it is. Faith is expressed by doing what Jesus said. Well, how do we know what Jesus said? We read it. We read it for ourselves in the Gospels. We learn from his earliest apprentices, those people who knew him best, Peter and James and Paul. You will be greatly disadvantaged in becoming Christ-like if you don't have a Bible or you don't know how to use the one you have. All Scripture Paul said, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That is, it's useful for becoming like Jesus. Finally, live this discipleship in the company of others. This is not a do-it-yourself project. This is where the church comes in. The church is, or it should be the company of the committed, the apprentices of Jesus, the people who are absolutely determined to be like him. Paul said that God gave the church some people to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. The word prepare that he uses is the noun form. I know it sounds like a verb in the NIV, but it really is a noun. It's the noun form of the same word Jesus used when he said, everyone who is 
fully trained, that's the word, will be like his teacher. See what that means? It means that the church and its leaders are part of God's plan too. They're part of the training process that he set up. So make use of the church. It's classes and sermons. It's Bible studies. But especially the relationships that it affords to help train you in Christlikeness. Don't wait passively for something to happen. Commit. A man felt like he ought to go and try to correct a wrong with another man. So he walked to the other man's house, but he didn't go up to the door because he really doubted whether it was his place to say something. He wasn't sure whether the other man would receive him or listen to him if he did allow him in. So he just walked outside the other man's fence back and forth and thinking in his mind, I should do it. No, I shouldn't. I should do it. No, I shouldn't do it. And then all of a sudden, he took off his hat and he threw it over the fence and as close to the house as he could. And then he said, now I have to do it. I'm committed. It's time for you to take off your hat and throw it over the fence. Now, let me suggest three ways you can do that. First, by telling God, and I'll give you a moment to do this after, our, after I'm done, that you are committing to be like Jesus. Commit to him your honor, your time, your intelligence to becoming like Jesus. Once you've done that, tell somebody else. Tell someone else. Come tell me. Tell a friend. Yes, I'm committed. I am committed. I want to be like Jesus. I want to learn. I want to be trained. I want to be like him. And then, here's the third way. Solemnly write a vow to the same effect. Write it out. Christians used to do this very frequently. It's kind of a lost art now. Write it out and put it where you're going to see it. Put it in your Bible and see it every day. Use it as a bookmark. I am choosing today to be the student of Jesus, his disciple, his apprentice, so that I can learn to do life like him, so that I can be like Jesus. All right, let's bow our heads. And if that's... If you're willing to throw your hat over the fence, would you tell God that right now? Lord, in response to all that you've done and all that you do, in manifold ways that we couldn't count if, it, if we took our whole lifetime, we respond by saying yes. <coughs> Let your will be done.
Make us like your son, Jesus Christ. It's because of him and for him and through him that we pray this.